0: So how many of y'all have driven on E before? All right, everyone, okay. How many of y'all regret driving on E because it ran out? All right, there's more hands in this service than the last service. So, hey, listen, um, it's not the goal in life to see how far you can go on E, okay? that's I know that's an adrenaline rush and all that kind of stuff, but really uh, it is the goal in life to operate with a full tank. You can go further, you feel more secure, life is better, sweeter, you have more capacity. And if you think about fuel, as the Seinfeld episode pointed out, I want you to think about prayer. Prayer is the fuel inside of a believer, the follower of Christ, that is where prayer is. Uh, Prayer is the fuel inside of us as followers of Christ that enable us to reach capacities, distances, lands lives that we would not have the access to. The heart of a king is swayed by God's hands and it is swayed many times through prayer. God even says in the scriptures that he changes his minds because of his people's prayers. So you talk about impacting the world, you can change the heart of God sometimes by Prayer. Prayer is this incredible thing, but now here, don't hear me say this, that prayer is getting my will into heaven. It's about getting God's will into me. So we're going to talk about prayer as fuel in our lives to increase the capacity of our lives. That's what we are aiming at. We want to see how far we can go in life. We want to see how much we, who we can impact, how far we can impact. But when we have prayer, it increases our capacity, our influence, our growth in our life. When you look at the life of Christ, just survey the life of Christ, you'll find that he is a person of prayer. He mastered prayer. He didn't invent prayer, but he mastered prayer. He was was not the founder of prayer. There are over 650 prayers recorded in this book alone. Now, he didn't pray all of them, but he is certainly the one who knew how to pray and make a tremendous impact. You think about all the things that he did. Walked on water, fed multitudes, drew in crowds. He could uh, turn anything into anything he wanted it to be he could he could turn water into wine and he could turn a blind person into seeing he could take a dead man back to life again he could do all these miracles he could teach and and people would just melt their hearts would melt at his teaching but the only thing the only discipline that his disciples ever hey teach us how to pray that was the thing Teaches how to pray, God. In Luke 11, uh, 11, 1, it's one of the times that the Lord's prayer is recorded. The other time is in Matthew, which will be there in a moment, Matthew 6, if you want to find that. But this is the account in Luke, when Luke tells the account. It's almost as if Jesus tells the story or gives them the model prayer twice. It says, now Jesus was praying at a certain place, Now, I like that because we're talking about... If you're a part of our Pray 21, we're talking about places this week. You need to notice in the life of Christ that He had places that He went to. And if there wasn't a place there, He made it a sacred place. I like that attitude. I like that approach. At a certain place, He went and He prayed. And when He finished, one of His disciples said to Him, Lord, teach us to pray. I think for some people... Prayer is highly complex. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I don't know. Whenever I'm with the family and all our families together, it's kind of my job as the pastor. I got to pray. I, and fun, Sometimes it's funny. I get in a family circle sometimes and everybody will get real quiet and they'll just look over at me. And one of these times I'm just going to look back at them and, and see what happens. But, I mean, the, the point is, is that sometimes we get fearful of prayer. We're afraid of prayer because we're afraid we won't say the right things. We won't do the right things. We won't won't say the Hail Mary at the right time or Amen at the right time or or put the right ending or the right opening on it. Don't, Don't get caught up in the complexity of prayer. I want us to see the simplicity of prayer, but I also want us to see the impact of prayer today. I want us to understand it in this series and understand how we can make an impact. Jesus prays 25 different times in the narratives. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll find Jesus praying 25 different times. Ten times he gives instructions to prayer. So not only was he a person of prayer, he was a teacher of prayer. He helped his disciples know how to pray, how not to pray, when when they should pray, and, and, and different things. He models it. He teaches it. He's an exemplary person of it. So let me tell you about my prayer time this past week. Monday morning I wake up. What is it? It's the new year. I'm sitting in my sacred place, my special place. Nobody else is there. I'm all only one in the room at the time. I opened up my Bible. I'm, I'm reading from the book of Deuteronomy, and God leads me to chapter 11, verse 11. Deuteronomy 11:11. 11, 11. Should be able to remember it. It was the verse that God spoke to me on Monday morning. It was a verse that I feel like God has given me as a sense of direction even in the new year. Now, I'm not the mystical one that believes that, you know, it's a, you know, I'll open it up and it's January 1st that God is paying attention to our calendar or something like that. But it was just a very unique moment as I'm sitting here praying, God, what are you going to do in me? What do you want to do in me? Where am I not yours? And how can I give more of myself to you? And he leads me to Deuteronomy 11.11. 11, it says this, "And the land that you're going, or let's say this. The year that you're entering into, you're going to possess 2018. It's going to be a land of hills and it's going to be a land of valleys. Ooh. I just like it when it's hilly. I just like the mountaintops, God. I like the vistas. I like the beauty. I like the snow-capped I don't want the valleys. But then he tells me in Psalm 23 that he will lead me through the valleys. See, the land that I'm gonna to get to possess, and maybe this is a verse for you, and maybe it's a verse for all of us as we think about it, as we're climbing hills and valleys, because in reality, every one of us this year is going to have hills, and we're gonna have valleys. Some of our valleys may be deeper than some of the steepness of our hills, but we're going to have hills and we're going to have valleys. And that's just the reality of any land or any year that we face. The beauty of it is that when I face it with God in prayer and I'm walking with God in prayer, then I'm not walking through those hills and I'm not walking through those valleys alone. He is with me to guide, to comfort, to correct, to steer me forward. I want you to stay in that metaphor of hills and valleys and mountains and climbing, okay? Just hang with me there for a few moments longer, because if you'll notice when you read through uh, the life of Jesus, He is constantly climbing mountains. I actually believe that probably he loved climbing mountains. When he gave the Great Commission, he does it from the top of a mountain. When he preaches the only message that is ever recorded in the Gospels about the life of Christ, what does he do? He climbs a mountain and he gives this message. And so let's let's, let's read just a little bit snippet from the message, a paraphrased version of it. But you can see when he's climbing the mountain and he gives this historic one time message. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Out of the message, here's what it says When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, those who were close to him, those who were studying, those who were his tutors, those who were his protege the committed climbed with him. When I first read that for the very first time out of the message, I thought, wow, am I a mountain climber with Jesus? Am I a part of the committed? Am I going to climb with him arriving at a quiet place? Again, notice the place element comes into play here. He sat down and he taught his mountain climbing companions. I love that statement. I love the beauty. I love the relationship. I love the challenge. I love the climbing the mountain. I love the imagery of it. And as he does, he sits down with his disciples and he begins to teach them this very thematic, not an exegetical, take a verse, break it down, verse by verse by verse by verse. He would never pass a preaching class today in college, I promise you, because he goes from one theme to another theme to another theme in the the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, read it for yourself. It's one theme after another, and sometimes the previous theme doesn't connect to the next theme. But right in the middle, in chapter 6 is where we're going to focus. Right in the middle, in chapter 6, is hinges everything in the Sermon on the Mount, everything he said before and everything he's going to say after. Right in the middle, he talks about prayer. He talks about the power of prayer. He talks about the right way to pray, the wrong way to pray, the the way that you shouldn't pray. In fact, he says it like this so many times. He makes it very clear that this is an education training manual on prayer because he says it like this. When you pray, when you pray, when you pray. Now, when we read through the Scriptures here in a moment, I want you to just underscore that. And each time you see that in Matthew chapter 6, 5 6, uh, uh, 5, 6, and 7. And then in verse 9, he launches into what we call the Lord's Prayer when he says, pray then like this. And probably half this room, if not three-quarters of this room, could quote the Lord's Prayer. You've said it with your kids. you said it as a child. you you memorized it yourself. You didn't even go to church growing up, but you know the Lord's Prayer. Many people do. Pray then like this. So here, I want us to unpack this a little bit. If this is so important in this whole mountain climbing element and sitting down with Jesus and his mountain climbing companions, I want to ask you the question, are you a mountain climbing, committed mountain climbing companion with Jesus, ready to learn? that the hinge of your life will swing on the hinge of prayer. where well, you're going to see the increase and in the impact of your life will happen because you are committed to prayer. Because this is what many people have done. Many people have abused and neglected prayer. We've made it something it's not. Prayer is not just simply communicating to God. It's communing with God. You got to get that down big, plain and straight. Prayer is mo- is most effective not whenever it is communicating to God, hey God, this is what I need. this is what I want this is i 'm on e in my car, please get me to the nearest gas station, and, and I will promise I will do this and this with you or or it's it's I got pulled over by a police officer, so now i 'm about to get a ticket. God get me out of this, and I will give all my children to you or something like that, or um, I, I get sick all of a sudden, and then all of a sudden you start telling God that that you need to be made well. we start telling. Telling God what to do and he's the God of the universe. Now, I'm not saying giving our request to him is not important. In fact, it's very important. But what's most important is not us communicating to God, but us communing with God. When our conversations flow out of a beautiful relationship with the God of the universe... That He has made a way that we could be in a relationship and a conversation with Him. And what happens is we mess it up when we just make it a one-way intercom system into heaven. John Piper said it like this, the reason that prayer malfunctions in the hands of believers is that we try to turn a wartime walkie-talkie into a domestic intercom. It's more than us calling down comforts from heaven. It's being in a beautiful relationship with the God of the universe. It's being in this relationship with Him and allowing Him to influence us and us to speak into Him and Him to hear us, but us at the same time, us at the same time to be able to hear Him. Now what I want us to assess today is I want to assess the quality of our fuel. If fuel is is to the car what prayer is to the believer. I want to assess the quality of the fuel of our prayer. And I want to assess it not according to my standards of assessment. I want to take the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, and I want us to look at that and let that be the standard of our measurement. So uh, you might ask yourself three questions today as we look at this. First question I want you to ask is how deep is my prayer. All right? How deep? How deep do I go? How deep do I need to go? How deep do you need to go for oil? If you're going for groundwater, you just need to go about 100 to 300 feet deep, and you get groundwater. If you want to go to natural gas, you'll go to about 4,000 to 5,000 feet. But if you want to reach crude oil, then you're going to have to go to 5,000 to 6,000 feet. Well, how deep do you have to go for prayer? Well, some people just settle for the first liquid they find. That's not good enough. If you want to have fuel in your car, you're going to have to go deeper. If you're going to have fuel in your tank of life and be able to reach the nations and be able to reach into people's lives through prayer, then you're going to have to have a depth of prayer. Where do you find the depth of prayer? Depth of prayer happens in private. With the prayer happens in public. When we come together in this room, we can pray, and we can pray for the nations, and we can pray for our team in London, and we can all get together, and we can all pray together. But listen, where God really encourages this prayer to happen, where prayer is needing to happen, where this communing with God is supposed to happen on an ongoing basis, where we actually enter into a conversation with Him that never ends... Somebody said it to me like this a long time ago. They said, Mike, it's like picking up the phone first thing in the morning, not checking social media, not checking your text messages, but picking up the phone. And the first phone call you make in the day is to God. You take that phone with you everywhere you go, like we do already, and we take it with you everywhere you go, and you're constantly in. He hears every bit of your conversations. He's a part of every one of your conversations and a part of your thoughts, and you never hang up the phone until the end of the day. And even then you say, God, would you watch over me tonight as I sleep? Now, what if we took our phones? What if we took that perspective about prayer? It wouldn't be just something that I go to church to pray. It wouldn't just wait till I get to a communitas group. It wouldn't be just when I get to my small group. It wouldn't be just asking a pastor to pray for me. It would be something that I would be involved in in my own private heart, my own life on a regular basis. Charles Spurgeon said it like this. Some pray by the yard. They measure how long did you pray. I prayed for an hour. I prayed for 30 minutes. But true prayer is measured by the weight and not by the length. See, public declaration is what some people have made prayer to be. But instead of it, it's a private communication with God. Look at verse 5 and 6 of Matthew chapter 6. Again, this is where he's swinging the pendulum of the message. And he goes in verse 5 and he says this, And when you pray, you must not be like, he tells us what not to be like, The hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues, public prayer. On the street corners, public declarations that may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you that they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. Get alone with God and pray to the Father who's in secret. And the Father who sees in secret will reward you. This word secret only appears four times in all of the New Testament. It means a private place. It means a quiet place. It means a corner. It means a, a storage room. If you have to go get in the closet and leave the kids in the playroom, go get in the closet and leave the kids in the playroom. Well, if you've got to get up before everyone else, get up before everyone else. If you've got to do it late at night, do it late at night. But you need to have that time where you are in communion with God. And throughout the day that you are constantly communing with God. But it starts in those beautiful moments of the day whenever you meet with God. I have One of the things that I chronicle as I travel is I chronicle sacred places. I know when I travel, I will look for, as soon as I arrive at a hotel, as soon as I arrive in a bush uh, in in the middle of Africa, I will be looking where am I going to get up the next morning and where am I going to meet with God. It's one of my most meaningful times and places. I've been on Times Square at 5 a.m. in the morning when nobody else but the street sweepers are there and I in New York City have prayed for the city of New York in the middle of Times Square at 5 in the morning. That was a sacred place for me. I've been on mountaintops and been alone and have prayed in that sacred place. I, wherever you are, it doesn't have to be a holy cathedral. It doesn't have to be a, 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 a it doesn't have to be a church building. It can be anywhere you are. You meet with God, you make that place holy, you make that place sacred, and you get along with God. There's tremendous things that will happen as you spend secret, private times with God. Ravi Zacharias said it like this, the more time you spend alone, the more time you will realize you're not alone. The, I'll say it to you like this, the more time you spend with God, the more time you will realize there is a God. So you can even go so far, the less time you spend with God, the less you will realize there is a God. James McDonald said it like this, the secret to prayer is prayer in secret. The secret to prayer is not big cathedrals praying. It's, it's not in having all the words patterned out. It's not in writing it out. It's not reading some from some confessional book of prayers. It's you being with you, you, being you in the presence of God, you being with God, you engaging God, and God engaging you, you spending time with Him wherever. I have heard people who work at Walmart who they can't, they can't find a quiet place in their home. What do they do? They get in their car, they drive to work, and they get there 30 minutes early, and they sit in their car, and it becomes a sacred place. You can make any place sacred, but the depth of your prayer will be not tied to how long did you pray, how many people did you pray with, but to how much did you spend time with Him in the privacy of your own heart and your own mind. We have over 500 people right now signed up to be a part of this prayer thing that we've been talking about. 21 days, pray 21 days. It's a beautiful kind of rhymey thing, right? 21 days of prayer. It takes 21 days to make a habit, 20 days to break a habit. That's a great thing. In fact, you can sign up right now, and you can be a part of it. It's that simple. We'll send you a text at 714 in the morning. You'll get a text. You'll get an email, whatever you want, and you'll get it, and it just reminds you, just prompts you, just develops that rhythm. It takes 21 days to make a habit, 21 days to break a habit. You can sign up, and we'll we'll send that to you. You'll be a week behind, but hey, jump right in and start it right now. Is it just a cute, tw- trite 21 days? In your own time this week, read Daniel 10. And read how in 21 days of Daniel praying and fasting. And how in 21 days he felt and experienced God in vision. He experienced the pre incarnate God. He saw God work in the heart of a king in 21 days of prayer and fasting. 21 is not necessarily a magic combination, but it just shows the the dedication and the commitment that takes whatever it is that you need to do in your life to own your own faith. Do it, develop it, mature it. And one of those things has got to be regular, consistent, sacred moments, deep moments between you and God. And one of the things we do We did it three months ago. We're starting it right here today, the second cycle of this. We're encouraging all of our members and anybody who's here to complete an IDP. Now, that sounds really official, right? An intentional discipleship plan. We are not sitting here as pastors saying, here, this is what you need for your life. We're wanting you to get with God and listen to the voice of God and to hear from God because you've spent sacred time with God in sacred places with God, separated from the rest of the world and the noises and the bings and the dings and the, and the reminders and the notifications. And you met with God, and God said, "Listen, I want to grow your life in prayer. I want you to spend 21 hours, whatever it is. I want to, to challenge you here. And what you do is you write out your own intentional discipleship plan. We can do it online." and then you can send it to people to have them pray for you. You can actually grab them, and they're at the communion tables where we'll have communion here in a few moments, and we'll talk about that uh, as well. But the point is is that we're wanting you to own your faith, to you set aside those prayerful moments that you're getting alone with God in those secret places. Second question, how authentic is my prayer? God doesn't need posers, all right? He sees through our facades. You can fool me and you can fool your spouse, but you can't fool God. He sees it. He knows it sometimes before you know it. Authenticity is when you are true to yourself and you're true to others about yourself. First of all, you've got to be true to yourself, but some people are so unself aware, they're not self aware. They're not aware of who they are and their own troubles. Listen, you've got to be true to yourself and true to others about yourself. But in that others, that includes God. Where you're going to be real open, real raw, and honest with God. Across this, this board back here and across all, all these stringers right now are names of people that, in fact, there are these prayer cards that are in your seat pocket. That every time you turn one of these in, every single week, there are people praying for the needs of our people. And the things that you have written on the back, some people don't even put their names on the front because they want to be anonymous, but the prayers that you have put on the back have been so authentic and so real and so deep. We pray for them every week. We don't end our week until every single prayer is prayed over, initialed and recorded that that has been prayed over. We have kept them throughout the year and then we brought them in here this Thursday and we put them on, this, on these strings and we prayed over them again. And it's so incredible to go back and to look at some of these because we started this a year ago right now. And to go back and to look at some of these. And I went back even this morning before coming out here on stage and reread some of them. Things like pray for my spouse who has an addiction who doesn't realize that I know they have an addiction. Another person said, I have an addiction and I can't seem to break it. There's so many up here that are dealing with blended family, blended family struggles, I can't even, I can't even count them. The prayers that are real and authentic, God can be real and authentic with them. One that was up here that I prayed for that I actually put on the, on the string this past week was one who was praying for a job because this time a year ago, there was a number of people across Northwest Arkansas that didn't have jobs. There had been a big layoff and a number of people were without jobs. And one of the persons that was on there that I prayed for that, was, uh, that, that I hung up on the, on the string, I saw them on a plane recently and they have a job. They were going to their job. At the end of the last service, Right out in the gallery area, somebody came up to me and said, my card's on there. A year ago at this time, I had stage three cancer. And today I'm cancer free. Answer prayer. God wants to do deep things, but he also wants to do it in authentic believers. I love this verse. Don't miss this. Look what he said in verse seven. And when you pray, again, he's given us instructions on prayer. And when you pray, do not heap on empty phrases. I don't need, heaven doesn't need to be crowded with a bunch of noise, is what he's saying. As the Gentiles do. For they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father, I love this statement. Your Father, He knows what you need before you ask Him. Oh my, that phrase alone this week has calmed some anxiety. That phrase alone, when I dove into that word knows, he knows. To what level does God know? It literally is a word to speak of reflection as if God literally has me on His mind and He's thinking about me. He's reflecting on me. He knows my needs. He knows what I need. He's just waiting for me to quit being so wordy and quit being so fake and start being real. Father, life stinks right now. Father, I got this big decision. I don't know what to... I'm trusting you. The Father knows before you even ask Him. How deep do you know Him? A.T. Pearson, pastor in the 1800s, modern guy, with, ran with D.L. Moody and, and the likes. He he led a Japanese unbeliever to the Lord. And he led him to the Lord. He talked about prayer and all that this man from the Japanese culture was struggling with. And he gave the analogy, the Japanese man, when he learned how to pray, how life is like two buckets and on a pulley and all of the junk of our life is in the bucket and God's in the well. He says, and you drop it down to God and then he empties the bucket out. And then you pull it back up. And while you're pulling that one back up, you're sending another full bucket down. He's sending it up empty. You're sending it down full. That's what prayer is. We're taking our prayers to Him. He is our Father. He's already thinking. He already knows what we need. He's already ready to step into our lives. But if we don't take it to Him, if we're not real with Him, if we don't do it, then we live with the consequences of it. How deep is your prayer? How authentic is your prayer? How comprehensive is your prayer? When you look at this passage, again, we come to a passage we all know. When it comes to verse 9, this passage right here, he literally tells us, he tells us the, this is the model prayer. Pray then like this Now, this is what we have called for many years the Lord's Prayer. But let me say this, the Lord never prayed this prayer. This is a prayer that would be rightfully called the Disciples' Prayer because He's telling His disciples to pray like this. If you want to read the Lord's Prayer, read John 17. The entire chapter is the Lord's Prayer. But this is actually a Disciples' Prayer. And He gives us a comprehensive prayer plan. Now, it doesn't mean that you've got to read it and memorize it from memory and from rote memory. In fact, I want us to all say it out loud together. You probably know it. You probably can say it. I'm going to have it up on the screen in our English Standard Version. And so you can say it with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive our debts. As we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. How many of y'all have that memorized? Raise your hand in some version or another. Probably one of the more common passages of scripture that we have memorized. We learned as a child growing up and whether or not you've learned it or not is not the key thing. Whether or not you have it memorized or not is not the key thing. I just want to ask, is your prayer comprehensive? Are you just one-off praying? He gives us a template here. He gives us some direction here. So let's break it down real quickly in rapid fire. One, there should be a worshipful element to prayer. What does he say? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. He starts with talking about the greatness of God. He starts worshiping God. Don't let anybody ever tell you that worship isn't praying. Worship is praying praying. Praying is worship. You are communing with the father of the universe. You're just telling you how awesome he is. When we sing these songs in here, it's not the band performing so we can be, um, so we can be entertained for a few moments. It's so that we can all come together in a collective voice and let it, let it be known to God. Prayer is worship and worship is prayer and the two do not separate itself. There are times that I'll come in here, we'll sing a song I've never heard before. I will go to our playlist that we have on Apple Tune, or Apple uh, Music and, and Spotify and I'll look at Grace Point, NWA and I'll find the playlist and I'll just listen to it and I'll hit that song and I'll hit it again and I'll hit it again and I'll hit it again and I'll hit it again. I say, God, that's my prayer to you. And I just take those words, those poets, those musicians put together and I just say, God, this is my prayer to you. Worshipful. Our prayers should be worshipful. They should be an advancement, an advancement of his kingdom. Come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's a standard, there's a movement, there's a a progression with the kingdom of God. There's more to say about the kingdom of God than there is about the church in the the Bible. We're praying that God's kingdom would come. We're praying an advancement of his kingdom. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time developing this because in two or three weeks from now, I'm going to have an entire message on how prayer advances the kingdom and the work of God and how we can be a part of that. But I want to move on. Dependent. Dependent. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, we are independent people who love our independence and, 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 and chowd anybody who would try to take our independence from us. But you know what God wants us? He doesn't want us independent. He wants us dependent. He wants us dependent on Him because when we're independent of Him, we don't need Him. And we become the gods of our own universe. He would rather us be dependent on it. God, I don't know how I'm going to pay this month's bill. God, I don't know how this cancer is going to be cured. Or will I live with this for the rest of my life? God, I don't know. The person who's struggling with an addiction, if I'll say no today but yes tomorrow, So God, give me this day my daily bread. I don't need need victory five months from now. I need victory in this hour. Sometimes it's our attitudes. Our attitudes stink. God, I need your provision of a good attitude right now. now. I may have a bad attitude tomorrow morning. I'll need it then too. But right now, I'm just dealing with right now. And that's all I have. And that's all He promises. Give us this day our daily bread. Keeps us dependent upon Him. How dependent are you on Him? Are you the God of your own universe? Redemptive. There's a redemptive element to prayer where we bring our trash, our junk to God and we say, God, I need help. I need you to forgive me of my offenses. But in the same degree that I need your forgiveness, would you help me forgive others of their offenses of me? And here's what I see. A tremendous amount of hypocrisy. When we go to God and we say, God, here's my laundry list, my dirty deeds list. Here's all the things that I said, did, or thought wrong this week. Would you, oh, God, I, I don't, please don't shame me, God. Please help me get rid of them. I don't, I don't need to do those anymore. But then we have such little grace and mercy for other people in our life. Notice what he said. Forgive me at the same level I forgive others is another way to say that. And sometimes I know we don't want to forgive that other person. We, we can't seem like we can... The same way He forgave us, we're going to forgive them. Verse 13 or 14. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive yours. See, there is nothing more beautiful, powerful than the story of this communion that we have set up around this room. We've got three tables across the front, three tables across the back. In this, you will come to in a few moments and you'll take a piece of wafer and you will take a, a, a cup. But I want you to go back to your seat and I want you to sit and hold those two things and I want you to reflect on the forgiveness and the grace and the redemption of God in you. But I tell you what, I would strongly encourage you not to participate if you can't find it for at least a moment to forgive the people who have offended you as well. It goes both ways. Alignment is what God is trying to get us also to. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God, I want to be on your plan. I want to live according to your ways. I don't want to live according to the ways of the way I'm feeling like I need to go. Listen, we got to stop temptation at the door. You don't stop temptation when it comes into the house. You stop it at the door. Wherever the door of your life is, you keep it on the outside. You keep it on the other side. And you walk in the ways, the way the Lord has planned for you. You step in His steps. If it's fear that's driving you, you step away from fear and you step into faith. Whatever it is, you've got to get in alignment with His will. Alignment, redemption, dependency, advancement, worship. These all mark a comprehensive prayer life. I don't know if you realize this, but Big Brother's watching you always. We talk about that, but if you have one of these little things or one of these things and you download books from Amazon Kindle, um, they're watching what you read. We're going study this week where they watch even what you read on the Bible. Now imagine that. You buy a Bible from Amazon... They're paying attention through their algorithms to what you read. Now, yeah, it may not be new news to some of you guys that, that, that deal with that, probably because you watch those analytics every day of, of your life. But just think about that for a moment. They're watching what you even highlight in the Bible. Amazon releases a study to say, what is the most popular, most often highlighted verse in the Bible? What would you guess it would be? Don't answer it out loud, just think about it. John 3.16, that would be mine. Psalm 23, that would be one of them. Maybe the Lord's Prayer? No. Some obscure, almost, most people have never even been there, that are outside the church anyway, book of Philippians. And even at the end of Philippians, the most highlighted of all the Amazon Kindles out there, verse it's chapter 4, verse 6, and verse 7. Do not be anxious for anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now notice he starts with anxiety. You take your anxiety, you take your fear, you take whatever you're dealing with and you present it to God in prayer. Talk about increasing capacity. What's he going to do? And the peace of God. What's the antidote to anxiety? Peace of God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding. We can't box it up. We can't figure it out. There's not enough Xanax out there to to figure it out, to to take pills, to, to fix the anxiety of our life because the peace of God transcends all understanding and will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What a beautiful passage. The answer being prayer, by prayer. You want to increase your capacity in life? Pray. It's not complex. Prayer is profoundly simple. At the same time, it's simply profound. Would you pray with me? I'm not asking you how long did you pray. I want to know how deep did you pray. I'm not asking you, do you have all the right words like the Gentiles and you can say a lot of words and throw a lot of Scripture in and you know how to say the Hail Marys and you got the Book of Common Prayers memorized. No, no, no. I'm asking how authentic are you with the Father who already knows, already knows your needs. He's reflecting on them right this minute. I'm asking you, how comprehensive is your prayer? It should be, it must be a communing with God. I'm going to pray, I'm going to say amen, and when I'm through with that amen, I'm just going to walk off the stage and the service is yours. And when and if you are ready to go to any of our stations, if you're a follower of Christ, you're walking with Christ, there's not any unconfessed, unrepentant of sin in your life, you're like, okay, God, my debts, okay, they're on the table. And I'm I'm freeing up the debtors that are against me. Those debts that I've been holding, those offenses that I've been holding, I'm freeing them up then you are free to come to this table, these tables at any time. And just take the elements and, again, move to the side and let other people come around. Take one of the IDPs. Go back to your seats. Sit down. Pray. Seek God. And let this be a time with you in the Lord. Father God, we are yours. And we just thank you that you allow us to not just talk to you like you're some dispenser of good deeds of heaven, but we can commune with you. And you'll take the anxiety of our lives and you'll replace it with the peace of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, if there's anybody in this room right now who does not have the peace of Jesus Christ and does not have a relationship with Jesus, would you help them, Lord, understand the need before they even take communion that they need to give themselves fully to you. But This is your time. Speak to